0: Please turn also to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 1. The text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This also is God's holy word. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Almighty God, we thank you, Father, that you are worthy of our praise. We thank you, Father, that you have given us The truth of your word, you have given us the good news of the gospel, that through your Son Jesus Christ, that we have uh, your grace, and because of his perfect work, we have peace with you, Father. We thank you that you have given us so great of salvation through your Son, that you have sent your Holy Spirit, that that we might believe upon you, and Father, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans, that. You have given us the deposit of the Holy Spirit so that we might know that you will fulfill the promise that you have given us. The promise of the forgiveness of sins, promise of eternal life. Father, we pray that you would be at work in the lives of your people, that we would continually die to sin, that we would live unto righteousness. Father, we pray if any are here who do not know you, we pray that you might do a mighty work. In their lives, that you would turn us from darkness to light, from death to life in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are so generous with sinners, we who are unworthy. We thank you, Father, for your generosity to us, that sinners can have righteousness through your Son. And we pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Many years ago, after my wife and I were married, we decided to hop on a plane and fly to this remote island in the Pacific. And uh, there we were enjoying our... uh, Well, I I had some snafu with uh, my planning, booking a ticket, but maybe it was the third or fourth week of our marriage. And uh, when we were out there, we, we started... Uh, visiting some of the businesses, right? Uh, various ones. And all of them seemed to be tied to this one company. As if there was one company that owned all the businesses on that island. And we started to wonder wait a minute, so, so wait a minute, this restaurant, that restaurant, this, uh, this uh, recreational uh, company, they're all owned by this one business. And it's like, well, shoot, it sounds like they have some kind of monopoly here on this island. And even as I Read these two verses in the beginning of Ephesians. We have the sender, who is Paul. And the name of Christ is mentioned. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then we have the recipients of the letter. Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then we have the greeting. That there's grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see the sender. The recipients and the greeting they're all founded on Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is the center he is front and center it's, it's as if you think about that island it was the island of Kauai you you cannot you cannot exist on that island outside of doing business with that one company you think about the good news of the gospel you think about your life in this world it cannot exist outside of Jesus Christ that that he is central And here in this book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, apparently in prison when he wrote this, other people in prison uh, go into despair, lose hope, they give up hope. But here you have the Apostle Paul who who gets a a bit of free time to be able to write and pour out his heart regarding uh, who Jesus is and how all of us who are in Christ have so much For which to rejoice. That this mystery of the gospel. This mystery. Is revealed to us. That sinners can be brought to saving faith. That everything that was lost in Adam. You think about the garden of Eden. And and how there was paradise there. And Satan was present in, in the serpent. Lying to Adam and Eve. And And Satan obviously fell from grace, that he was an angel, perhaps the, the, the highest angel, and he wanted what God had. He coveted that. And in his pride, he fell. And in tempting Adam, his desire was that Adam would lose everything that Satan himself lost. Yet, he could not defeat the plan of God. Because here... In Jesus Christ, we we have so much greater than than what Adam had in the garden. We have it for an eternity. It's not as if Satan won, Satan lost. And that in Jesus Christ, what we learn is that Satan has lost, Jesus has won. And that what Adam had, we have far greater in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the truth that we see in this passage. Ephesians presents the glorious Lord Jesus Christ as the sender, sanctifier, and savior of his bride, the church. Ephesians presents the glorious Lord Jesus Christ as the sender, sanctifier, and savior of his bride, the church. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the sender, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Second, the recipients. And third, the greeting. So the first point, the sender, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, we're told there in the first part of verse 1. So perhaps you're asking this question who is Paul? Why is he writing this letter? Uh, What's his significance? Why is he important? Well, as we think through the account of the Bible in the book of Acts, we have an understanding. Think through how important this man, Paul, was. You have 66 books in the Bible. Was it 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New? And, and uh, was it the Apostle Paul wrote, was it 13 of, of the 27 in, in the New Testament? So you ask, was this man important? Well, he must have been. God used him to write a good, a good chunk of the New Testament. Throughout the epistles and in the book of Acts, we have some understanding. We have little snippets about him. He, he talks about himself in some of his letters. And it's never in flattering ways. It's with his understanding about the grace of God in his life. In the book of Acts, we're told that this man, Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus... That he was a devout Jew. He was educated under Gamaliel, who was a very well-known and respected Jewish scholar. That this, this man, Saul of Tarsus, was a Pharisee. Not only a devout Jew, but a Pharisee. That he was one of the religious leaders. That he was circumcised on the eighth day. In Acts chapter, uh, was it Acts chapter 7, you have the account of Stephen... That Stephen preached his farewell sermon, his, his last sermon, before the religious leaders, before this group of 70 called the Sanhedrin. And apparently he preached in such a way that they were so upset, they dragged him outside. These, these, are, these would have been older men. They would have been uh, the seasoned, the respected elders in, in the Jewish religion. They dragged him out and they stoned him. And we're told that there was one man, a younger man, Saul of Tarsus, who was there. He was there witnessing the execution of Stephen. But not only did he witness it, he actually approved of it. And here we have Saul as a persecutor of the church. So he was there present at Stephen's death when he preached to the Jews. And then you have Saul as a persecutor of the church, First Timothy 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. We think about how God uses people. That it wasn't as if God was waiting for some kind of change in Saul. Saul. That God was that change in Saul. That he was on his road to Damascus, so to say. That there's a saying in our language, uh, this road to Damascus, that it's the road to conversion, this this uh, period of change in someone's life. And it's not as if God says, I'm, I'm going to wait for this guy to improve his life and get his act together. No, this man was, we're told, breathing hateful and murderous threats. That he was angry with these Christians. He wanted to destroy the church. And on his way, Damascus, he was confronted by Jesus himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he asked him the question, well, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus, who you, whom you are persecuting. And here we have the reassignment that this man who hated the church with every ounce of his being, I, he got letters From the high priest saying, hey, I'm going to go under your sanction to Damascus to claim these Christians and bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. Bring them bound. And here we have the reassignment that God found one who is at his worst. That he might make him a witness of his mercy. In Acts 9.15. This is the message that God had for Ananias. That God told Ananias, hey, there's this man, Saul. You're going to go to him and you're going to tell him that this is what's going on. And Ananias is as if he corrected God. Hey, God, I don't think you know this. This man has, has, has done great harm to the church. Is as if anyone could tell, some, tell God something he didn't know. God says, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Don't ever think that that God missed something. Right? When you think about, uh, admittedly, older men, of course, they are in need of reminding, hey, by the way, did you did you overlook this? Oh, I did. Thank you very much. This is never so with God. God says, him, no, 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 go. This is my chosen instrument. Notice how he says, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That, that the apostle Paul would bring the good news of the gospel to Gentiles. So what is an apostle? What is an apostle? Literally, an apostle is one who is sent. So the irony here is that you have the opening of this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is following the, the custom, right? Uh, in the time, uh, you, you begin with the sender. You Introduce yourself. This is who I am. And notice that his introductions in his letters are all a little bit different. Then after talking about who he is, he's, he addresses, hey, who are you? The recipients. This is who I think I'm writing to. And then there's some kind of a greeting. We have that in our language. We have this... Uh, Block format. The block format of of letters. So this apostle. Apostle is one who is sent. There's no such thing as a self-appointed apostle. This is an oxymoron. No such thing. An apostle is one who is sent by God. He's sent by the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' own words, John 20, verse 21, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So here, Jesus. Jesus is one who is under authority. He was sent by the Father. He didn't come of his own initiative. He he was sent by the Father on a particular assignment. And that you look in John 17, as as he gave an accounting to his Father, so also uh, an apostle, one who is sent must give an account to the one who sent him, that he's not doing his own will, he's doing the will of him who sent him. When we think about apostles, what what does it mean to be an apostle? Well, there's certain criteria. The first is that they must be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Acts 1.26, 1 Corinthians 9.1, that these verses speak about how for those who were The typical apostles, they were present during Jesus' ministry, like John and Peter, that these were men who were part of Jesus' ministry while he was alive on earth. And then you have the apostle Paul, referred to as one abnormally born, that his witness of Christ's resurrection uh, would have been on that road to Damascus that he had an encounter with Jesus, an apostle is one who receives his commission directly from Jesus Christ and God the Father. This is in Galatians 1.1. If We think about people today, nobody, nobody receives direct commissions. Since that time of the apostles, no one received direct commissions. In fact, when we look at uh, Matthias, the one who, uh, the lot fell on Matthias and that he was um, Uh, the the one to replace Judas, that, uh, that it was the church that acknowledged it. It was the church that recognized it. So back then it was the direct commission from Jesus. This is what Paul had. This is what the other apostles had. There's also the matter of having the sign of attesting miracles that's true for an apostle. So 2 Corinthians 12, 12. That these apostles had signs attesting miracles of who they were and the message that they preached. There's also an acknowledgement from the church regarding their apostleship. Think about the, the question of Paul. Well, he would have been one abnormally born, but we're told in Galatians that they extended to him the right hand of fellowship. There was an acknowledgement from the church, from the other apostles, that yes, this man is an apostle. For those of you who are wondering, there are no more apostles today. There have been no more apostles since Matthias. That he was that last one to replace Judas. And there were no further appointments. There were no more direct commissions. There there are men who are recognized by the church. You think about how men receive calls to be ministers. To be ruling elders. To be deacons. Those are all not self-appointed roles, right? There's no such thing as a self-appointed role in that way in the church. It is an appointment that's recognized by the church, by the body of the church. So we have an end of this apostleship. It's not a continuing office in Christ's church. We see also here Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. No apostleship comes by the will of man. It never comes by the will of man. It's always according to the will of God. It's not by men's ambition. It's not by their desires. No man takes this title or authority upon himself. We have that spoken in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 4 to 5, regarding the role of priest. And no one takes this honor for himself... But only when called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Here, many people today, they focus on the privileges that come with authority. But they never think about the responsibilities that come with authority. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, he speaks about the visions and the revelations that he had from the Lord. That's present. He had that. Definitely. And people wonder, well, if only I could have that. Well, he thought about what came with it. Further, or later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> He specifically said that in order to keep him from self-exaltation, in order that he would not become proud regarding these visions and revelations that God had given him, we're told that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to humble him. And he asked God, take this away from me. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You think about any. Any role of authority, whether it be as a mother or a father, as a teacher, as uh, a minister, an elder, a deacon in the church, a a manager in a company. We never think about the responsibilities and the duties that come with it. We only think about the privileges. Oh, wouldn't it be great if if I could be uh, the mayor of the city? Oh, no, no, no. Have you thought about the responsibilities? Right? You think about only the, the little things that you get as fringe benefits. And imagine the life of the Apostle Paul. That in was it Second Corinthians he speaks about uh, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was beaten, and how he was naked. He was uh, he was in danger of false brethren. He was in danger in various places, and all of this comes. To those who have been given great authority. And a great calling. See also the life of of Joseph. That to be called prime minister. Think about how much difficulty he went through in his life. and, And the injustices that he faced. But you realize all of that was part of the preparation for him. To be a faithful servant of the Lord. So also you ask yourself. What is it that the Lord should call you to? Well, we often think about privileges, but we should be thinking about responsibilities. Can we be faithful with the little things in life? Should we desire to be faithful with the little things in life? And that understand that the difficulty that God brings us through, whatever minuscule role that we have in this life, if you're a Christian, then He's at least preparing you To receive heaven. To enter heaven. And that that often will be through that path of difficulty. That if you will receive the crown, you must first have the cross. Even as Jesus did. So here we have the sender who is Paul. But really he was sent of Jesus Christ as an apostle. We have the second point, the recipients. The church in Ephesus set apart unto faith in Christ. There in the second half of verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. We ask ourselves, well, what do we know about Ephesus? Well, you think about where God placed Israel. Children, have you, have you ever played this game of risk? Have you played this game, the board game Risk? Right? It's a fun game, right? And you see pretty quickly. That uh, getting involved in some kind of war in Asia is a bad idea, right? A land war. Land war in Asia is a bad idea. But uh, what you see also is that this place that God put Israel, is connects three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa, right? It's, it's in a very a very strategic, very important place. Ephesus was uh, that that area that is kind of the beginning part of Asia. I think it's modern-day Turkey in that area there. And Ephesus was a pagan city. We have an account of that in Acts chapter 19. There, sorcery was practiced. We're told that those who were converted from sorcery, from that life, that they gathered together all of their magic spell books, Right? You can imagine uh, how extensive these would be. We're told that collecting all of these books, they didn't resell them, saying, "Hey, you know, we got to leave this behind. We're we're going to sell these off." No, no, no. They realized these magic books we cannot do, but these magic books should not be practiced by anyone, so they must be burned, which is what they did. They burned them. And after counting, I don't know how they knew this. Maybe. Uh, Maybe they had eBay back then, but they they counted it, and they said, hey, this stuff was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Where, when you think back, one piece of silver was a day's wage for a day laborer. That's a lot of money. But you see here, sorcery was evil. Sorcery is evil. And what these new converts had said is, if sorcery, God says sorcery is evil, I must not do it. Nor should anyone else, their conclusion was, and the books must be burned. We have also an account in Acts 19 regarding a fierce defense of idolatrous practices. Here was a silversmith, and um, they realized, well, the spread of this gospel, and of all places Ephesus we know that Ephesus that this is the the, the city of Artemis of, of Diana and uh, and this silversmith realized hey wait a minute these silver statues that I'm making for the worship of Artemis well my business will come to a swift end if this gospel has inroads into our city I don't think they thought hey I I can make little images of animals or, or trees, or they, they could have made other things, right? So there was this fierce defense of idolatrous practices. People often reason from the end to the beginning. Well, wait a minute. If, if I'm going to believe a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to give up this, 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 and that. And they reason backwards and say... I'm not willing to give up this, 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 and that. I'm not going to follow Jesus. That was... That was what was shouted back then. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You realize... That our God is far greater than that. His grace is far greater than that. There in Ephesians 20... We're told... Was it Paul left and came back to Ephesus... And then he called together the elders of the church. It meant that there must have been a church and there must have been people who were mature such that they were appointed to be elders. So we see that despite the fact that the city of Ephesus was a pagan city, that God had prepared believers there. There was a church there. When we see the... The letter, this epistle to the Ephesians. You notice how uniformly positive this letter is? You know what I mean by that? You look at some of Paul's letters. For example, Galatians or Corinthians. Galatians, the question is, hey, are you guys understanding the gospel? I think you may have missed it. And then the Corinthians regarding all of their immoral practices. Well, There doesn't seem to be even a a hint of admonishment or rebuke in this letter, right? Maybe compared to Philippians, they're probably the the two most positive ones. So we ask ourselves, is the grace of God to some effect? It must have been. The people in the first century in Asia who had, had not heard this good news, that when they heard the good news... That their lives were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. How often is it that you and I have to be reminded about God's power, His grace, and the work of the Holy Spirit in His people? Do we live in a pagan society today? Do we live in a post Christian culture, as we would say? We do. Well, how would someone who is of that lifestyle, how would someone who was of this persuasion, how can the gospel even bear fruit, even have any inroads in that person's life? Well, I'll tell you this. It's not going to be by our persuasive speech. It's not going to be by our charm and our ability. It's going to be the same way that it had and bear for fruit back then. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That you and I have to come to this point where we're saying, God, the foolishness of this message won't be believed by any natural person. It's only because you have commanded us to bear witness of this good news that it will bear fruit in the lives of your people by your power. Because no word of ours, no hot air, no cold air is going to make any change other than the power of your Holy Spirit giving life to dead sinners. And until Jesus comes back, he has told us that we might continue this, that he is continuing to call sinners to faith and repentance. Here, we have the message, this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesus. Sometimes in the church, terms start to get misused and misunderstood. And the term saints is such a term. It literally means holy one. But it's not as you think. The saints are not the super spiritual among Christians. In some groups, you actually have uh, requirements for someone to be considered a saint. But in the scriptures here... In the usage in the Bible, a saint refers to all who are in Christ Jesus. Every single believer, every single person who is in Christ is a saint. And the first thing about being a saint, it's not what you've accomplished, but what God has done in you. A saint is one who has been set apart, set apart by God. Think about the various. Uh, Pictures the various containers you have in your house. And God is the one who has vessels. And he has vessels for common use and vessels for special use. And for Christians, he sets them aside, vessels of special use. One who has been set apart by God. Think for a moment about... Later on in this book of Ephesians, Ephesians four twenty-two to 24. That in reference to your former manner of life, you will lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That God is the one who creates anew. That in Jesus Christ, we who are old have died. And that God has created us anew. That we're created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This is part of the setting apart, that we would be made new. Now, when you think about our duties then, those of you who are in Christ, you ought not to say, you know what? God doesn't place... That much required... uh, That great of a requirement on me... For holiness... And godliness... Because that's reserved for the super saints... No, no, no... That's every one of us... Every one of us is called to be holy... Be holy as God is holy... Because without holiness... No one will see the Lord... All of you who are in Christ... Professing faith in Jesus Christ... You are called to a holy life... Here, this holiness is never set apart from faith. That so the saints swore in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That this holiness and this faith must go together. Holiness doesn't exist outside of faith and faith doesn't exist outside of bearing holiness in one's life. They must go together. You think about the importance of faith. The importance of faith in one's life. Well, salvation doesn't come by working hard we're not justified by our works we're not justified by a combination of faith and works we're justified by faith in jesus christ realize in the garden there was a covenant that god made with adam and it was works based that adam was to obey and when that covenant failed when adam failed there's only one means Of being right with God. Being justified before God. And that is by grace. And if it's by grace. Then it comes through faith. Apart from works. This is why faith is so important. And so I ask you. Are you believing upon the promises of God? That faith. He calls us to believe his promises. And that we're told. That faith is important. Exceedingly important. And you want to know, what is the evidence of faith in your life? Well, there's a few things. Well, true faith will bear fruit. True faith will bear fruit in good works. True faith will bear fruit in that we have hope. Well, one certainty is that if someone is hopeless and in despair, that's one sign that they're without faith. That you and I are called to have hope. Because having faith in Jesus Christ gives us hope. Hope that God has not deserted us. Hope that our Lord Jesus is greater than any difficulty that we face in our lives. Hope that no matter how bad it is, and our lives come to an end, we will enter heaven not because we're perfect, or try to be perfect, but because Jesus Christ is perfect. That's right. That his righteousness he freely gives to us. And we're called to believe upon that. We're called to receive it by faith. So this very question about how is a man made righteous before God? Our answer is we're made righteous by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we receive that by faith. You ask, wait a minute. You're telling me this righteousness is not your own. No. It comes from someone else. It comes from Jesus Christ. The, right, the, the life that he lived perfectly. He freely gives that righteousness to us. And how do we get it? We get it by believing upon him. We get it by trusting in his perfect work. And this faith is also evidence that you and I would be those who are repenting of our sins. Forsaking our sins. Turning away from them and embracing the promises of our God. So this is the second point, the recipients. The third point, the greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about this grace, this grace and this peace come to us from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some say that if you look at this letter, the book of Ephesians, divided in two halves, chapter 1 through chapter 3, and then chapter 4 through chapter 6. They talk about how the first half, chapters 1 through 3, is summarized by grace, and chapters 4 through 6, summarized by peace. That's a good way to describe it. Think about this grace. Some mention that grace is unmerited favor. But you realize it's far more than just unmerited favor. It's the inexplicable, exceedingly great favor when you and I deserve only the wrath of God. Mm. See that, it's not just unmerited favor. It's you and I have earned God's judgment, His wrath, but He doesn't give it to us. Instead, He shows us this inexplicable exceedingly great favor we're going to get into it Lord willing next week in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 when we talk about all the blessings in the heavenly places that we receive because of Christ's perfect work so this grace to us you ask yourself what is this grace why is it important to us Well, you and I would not be who we are outside of this grace. Grace is the beginning of it all for you in Jesus Christ. We read earlier in Psalm 118, verses 19 and following. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Here, this grace comes to us through Jesus Christ, when he says that I am the gate, or I am the door. And here, in verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness, I shall enter through them. That grace comes to us through Jesus. You ask, how does God show us his grace? He shows us His grace through His Son. He who has the Son has the Father. He who rejects the Son has rejected the Father. We have also then peace. Having received God's grace, the product then is peace. We have peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God does. He establishes peace in the vertical realm between man and God. There's, there's peace between God and man. And having peace with God, this changes everything about our peace in our life. Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul speaks about how this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile that... When Jesus came, he broke that dividing wall. That he created one new man out of the two. So that the gospel establishes peace vertically between God and man. There's also peace between men and men. And there's also peace within. Have you ever met people who always seem to be at war? There's always some battle going on. You have to ask yourself... Is this just that person? We realize that without Christ, there is no peace. God says, there's no peace for the wicked. That this peace begins with the peace that comes by the grace of Jesus Christ between God and man. Then there's peace between men and there's peace within. The only way that you and I can have true rest for our souls is that we have peace within. That begins with peace with God. Begins with peace having peace with men and that there is true rest inside for us and this grace and peace come to us only through Christ the world often offers such things they offer cheap grace they offer this temporary peace you see this paper this thing written on this paper says that you and I or these two nations will stop fighting what does that amount to those peace trees are broken all the time And those peace treaties are merely, hey, why don't you stop building your army so that I can can make arrangements with my allies and then we can conquer you. Right? This is deception, if anything. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have true peace. He establishes peace for us. And that we look forward to this peace. Do you have peace in your life? You realize oftentimes... That peace is lacking because we forget about who Jesus is and what he has done. Yes, there may be turmoil in relationships. Yes, there's often turmoil in families. There's turmoils in neighborhoods. But the true peace that comes from God is something that no one can take away from you. No one can affect what's inside of you. They can only do something from the outside. And the various things that happen to us... Well, it's how we interpret those events. It's how we receive it as they come from the hand of God. That transforms everything about what happens in our life. And so, you and I should be those who trust that this good news comes to us with power. It comes to us by the Holy Spirit. It comes to us by faith that we receive the promises of God. It comes to us through Jesus Christ. That he is the exalted one. He is the one who receives all glory, honor, and praise. And that we look forward to that day when Jesus will return. That we will be united to him fully. That we will see him face to face. And until then, we believe upon his promises. We are faithful to serve him. And we delight in his truth. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father.